after Johnson. Johnson still going. Oh good, welcome back Surly Talk Sports Thursday morning and to be honest, pretty fucking knackered to be fair after a massive shift last night on the Caps, nothing better than a midweek send, going the big lift for your proud nation and staying up all night to cheer the lads home, unfortunately they couldn't get the job done, she was a mammoth task, taking on India and trying to knock off the hosts in a Cricket World Cup semi-final, it wasn't to be, of course we'll touch more on the game soon, she finished about half an hour ago and still yet to get a wink of sleep, so it could be a tough Thursday at the crease, but hey that is life, could be worse scenarios in terms of today's show still plenty of sport to rip through as well god bless the nrl just as you think the off season's kicking in and there'll be nothing to talk about they dropped the 2024 season draw to really get the water cooler chat going for us nrl frothers then of course super rugby squads they were named last week so cast an eye on that a bit of nba bit of joseph parker chat as well with news breaking that he is set for a massive biff against deontay wilder bloody lip stuff in terms of the weekend chat last weekend massive shift at a stag do something about a stag when you get a group of lads together 15 plus of the best you know you're in for a huge day kicked on through to the wee hours on the Sunday and then pretty dusty to be fair thought she was going to be possibly the longest day of my life but shout out to the legends at DoorDash I was actually on here a couple weeks ago when someone asked around my best food to go to on a dusty hangover to try and get me back up and about. I was complaining that for Noah Pie, of course, being out west in Auckland, you don't get a lot of Uber Eats options. Logged into the app expecting to have to order the standard Domino's, which is about the only bloody thing we get. But much to my surprise, freshly added to the menu, McDonald's Westgate. Me oh my, did I enjoy that? Fucking good stuff. I do have to wonder if the legends at DoorDash were listening to my rant a couple weeks ago. If so, bloody good to have you on board and great to have Maccas as an option. Did they fuck up my first order and forget my large fries? Absolutely they did, but at the same time, they also threw a chalky Sunday in, which I didn't order. Didn't expect to enjoy that, you know, thought it might be a bit rough on the guts after a huge night on the Waitakere Daiquiris, but shit, did it really clench the soul bloody good stuff so that had me excited to rip and tear into this week this weekend hoping to possibly lay low I always say that though and just get lured out by the smell of a steam up sun's out so it could be all go we will have to wait and see but without further ado plenty to rip into so let's get into the sport going to be bronze for the Black Caps unfortunately they couldn't go the big lift and I know a lot of people especially from overseas will be saying surly they finish pool play in fourth how do they get bronze well I'm telling you now that is exactly what we deserve so that is what we will be claiming not sure if there is a third versus fourth playoff in this cricket world cup and if there isn't we will certainly be claiming third you best believe it but of course last night like I touched on before in the intro India just too good winning the 
match by 70 runs. And what was a bloody entertaining display. It's fair to say whatever side won the toss won this game. India, they are elite tosses. They never lose the damn thing. Well done to Sharma. He came away with the dub in that head-to-head -head with Kane Williamson. Picked the option of swinging the old Kashmir Willow first up and shit did they do that well as well. Old Rohit himself, he banged out 47 off 29 and Gil, he was exceptional with Remo in hand. 80 runs of his own. Virat Kohli, shit that kid can bat. A history making knock for him. Becomes the first player in history to score 50 one day centuries overtook Sachin Tendulkar who had 49 so it's get that India at the top of that batting stat bloody good stuff from them and then Aya also banged out 105 of the best so they had two blokes raising the bat for over 100 runs and Gill at 80 it was always going to be a tough task they really did tear our bowling attack to shreds and I gotta say our bowling was pretty piss poor at times so often we were just dishing up seeds charity seeds seeds for them to send to the rope. Sixes and fours galore. We were a bit off our mark, often too full or too short. Bowl at the stumps, lads, and you could have a genuine chance of skittling them, but we couldn't do that. Tim Southey, probably the best in terms of wicket-taking, took three in his 10 overs, but went for 100 runs at 10 runs a clip. That is expensive stuff. Old Santa Claus, he went all right and was our most economic at 5.1. They ripped into Russian, and they dispatched the Trent Bolt all too easily as well. She truly was a bat-first type of pitch, and you've got to feel sorry for bowlers going around at the moment. It just seems like they're lambs to the slaughter, especially on these surfaces the Indians are rolling out. It is bloody tough to dominate with nut in hand these days. And this was another display of that. So 397 for four, the Indians finished after 50 overs. It was a bloody hard watch at times. You're starting to fizz up on just the little things. A dot ball became a celebration, which is never a good sign. But in came our lads. And you still had that slight sense of optimism that a T20-like innings was going to be needed. We're going to have to come out firing on all cylinders. One dog at Whanganui start. And we gave it a pretty good crack, to be fair. And for a while there, the game looked like she was in the balance. About 4.30 a.m. this morning is when the group chat started to light up again. We were in with a sniff, which is a testament to the shift that we put in. Just couldn't quite get over the line. About 60 runs too much. Conway, him and Ravindra came out, unfortunately both went out for 13s couldn't quite get us off to the start we'd hope Kane Williamson, he was bloody sharp, 69, a nice number there, always good to see Lockie Ferguson charging in to bowl with that number on his back as well, probably why he gets his 10 over spell, just for the pure entertainment, but Captain Kane, he was grouse as was Dazza Mitchell, 134 runs off 119 balls, 9 fours, 7 sixes, son of John Mitchell, he was elite, and this was really the highlight of this game for me, just watching Big Daz go about his work, Tonkin Cherries and dispatching the Indian attack all across the park. Latham went out for zero, sweet fuck all after two balls. Glenn Phillips, 41, and then the rest of the lads combined for about 26 or 27 of the best. The tail unfortunately didn't wag, and she was good night nurse for the mighty caps. Shout out to Shami, who absolutely ripped us a new one. 57 runs he went for, but he picked up seven wickets off 9.5 overs. Crazy figures from him. You could tell the pitch he just detected 
deteriorated like everyone predicted and it was a batter's worst nightmare come the end of the inning. So India advance, too good in front of a packed crowd that was giving it the big ones, riding every ball. you got to love it. The passion they have for this sport is right up there and also good to see David Beckham in the mixer. Not quite sure what the link is there. They said it was his first time in India. No doubt he would have been frothing given the royal treatment for sure. But after that documentary dropped not long ago, the David Beckham one, I'm now a huge fan of the cutter that he runs. So that was a nice touch. So India march on and they will play the winner of tonight, South Africa versus Australia. Aussie going favourites after that shit start to their tournament. They've well and truly hit their straps. South Africa, they finished in second, of course. And this one could genuinely go either way. Personally, I'd probably prefer to see South Africa get it. And then I'd probably want them to go on and win it. A Rugby World Cup into a Cricket World Cup would be one of the great feats and a huge month for South African sport. But to be honest, I'm just over World Cups this year. The Rugby World Cup, the Cricket World Cup, the Netball World Cup. We didn't win a fucking thing. Unfortunately, we got very close, but not quite getting the chocolates. So happy for this one to end on Sunday night. And as long as Aussie don't win it, I'll be bloody happy for the Caps. The next thing on their agenda, end of this month, they take on Bangladesh over there to kick off their tour, playing them in two tests. What's the fucking point of that? There'll probably be a draw, then hopefully we win one. You win a series 1-0. Every test series should always be at least a best of three. Then Bangladesh, they return the favour. Again, probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but they come over here for a three one-dayer series and a couple T20s as well. Always got to have some T20s in the mixer. So I'm looking forward to those. Probably try to get along to one of them. Nothing better than a huge day on the steam in the crowd, particularly at a T20. Everyone gets amongst it and it should be bloody good stuff. But overall, a reasonably successful campaign. We kicked off the World Cup looking like we could win the damn thing. Struggled towards the back end of pool play and then gave it a red hot crack in the semi. So up the caps. We still love you lads and good luck over in Bangladesh. Looking forward to welcoming you home in mid-December. Onto the NRL and the draw has been released. Bloody good stuff of course. Week 1 she's in Vegas. Just the four sides in the mixer there. First weekend of March. Then the weekend following that from the 8th onwards all the teams get into their work. Shit Vegas. The closer it gets the more you talk about it the more jealous I get. Would love to be out there. So fingers crossed someone pulls through late with flights and ACOM. How good of a gig that would be. Disappointing to see all the teams though. They're playing the sensible route and not basing the lads in Vegas in the lead up. Most of them are in LA or elsewhere. They seem to have kind of formed partnerships with these teams. I noticed the Broncos, they're training with the LA Rams at their facility. So that's some eyes up footy from them. But if you are going to take the rounds to Vegas, I think it should be mandatory that in the week prior, the teams have to be based there. Yes, it's going to be chaos. The NRL have done it to avoid disasters of players ripping and tearing off field. But at the same time, if you get to send them over there you got to let the lads do their work and the off-season news the action off the paddock would almost be even better than what they display on the football field I did see that they've released their marketing ad into America as well what they're chucking on the television sets over there to try and get bums on seats in Vegas she's a bloody good ad lots of rib rattlers and blokes getting smoked a few of these shots 
on the ad as well. Extremely illegal these days. Some real throwback ones. Couple of shoulder charges. They really ram home the fact that the players don't wear pads or helmets, which could either piss off the Americans and they take it as an insult to the great game of NFL, or else they'll really get around it. So interested to see the level of support that that Vegas round gets from the locals. I know for a fact a lot of Aussies and Kiwis will be flying over to rip in. So how good would that be? But in terms of the draw for the Warriors, just wanted to touch on a few things here, highlight a couple great things, and then a few things that disappoint me. First off, we'll kick her off. Let's get the bad news out of the way first. The Anzac game at home, love that. But, and there always seems to be a but whenever the NRL dishes up good news for us Warriors fans. Unfortunately, it will not be against the Melbourne Storm, the team that we always play against on Anzac Day. One of the great rivalries, it's historic, it's etched in the game, a tradition. But Melbourne have said if you want to take it to New Zealand, we're money hungry fucks, so we are not going to do that. Full credit to the Titans, they've stepped up, risen to the occasion and taken on the task of coming over here in front of a packed house and taking on the Waz. 4pm kickoff on your Thursday afternoon, nothing better than that, you've got to bloody love it. And I have no doubt the Warriors faithful will flock to Mount Smart in massive numbers, the fortress will be humming, we deserve this game, it's just unfortunate it is not against the Storm, a team who piped up during COVID or post-COVID and said that the Warriors deserve so much more home games, we'll give you everything you want. When push came to shove, they didn't deliver and this could have been the perfect gesture from them to take this game over here. Would have been massive scenes. Unfortunately though, they decided to stay at home and the NRLs dished them up a home game following that 4pm Thursday clash against the Bunnies. It's a massive money maker for Melbourne. They do a huge day of sport where everyone goes to the AFL and then drips and drabs creep across to the NRL. So unfortunately, the dollars have has won over common sense in this one. Melbourne, they kick up a fuss and they get what they want. Would love to have seen Bellamy and co come over here, but again, it is what it is. I'm a glass half full operator, so shout out to the Titans, and they have a pretty decent squad next year, so it should be a bloody good game. Anzac footy at the Fortress. How good. On to the positives now, and there's plenty of them. First one being, we have 13 games against bottom eight teams throughout the year. The Sharkies, they have the most games against bottom eight sides with 15 which is typical stuff really it seems like every year over the last three or four years they get the easiest draw they're real flat track bullies and they always beat up on those loser sides but then get pumped by the genuine contenders so they have 15 games against bottom eight sides Panthers Broncos and Roosters the big three they have 14 and then we're next with 13 so I love that for us right up there with the big dogs really maybe a tip of the hat to say that we are a powerhouse club in 2024. It's always better, of course, coming up against these sides that are lower ranked. I do expect a few of them to be much improved. Bulldogs and Titans, probably the two that I'm looking at. But at the same time, she helps. So hopefully the boys can capitalise on what perhaps could be 
a slightly weaker draw. Of course, we will play the most games out of state. A result of being based over in New Zealand, you tend to expect it. We're tied with the Raiders and the Storm playing 13 games out of New Zealand. That comes with the territory. It would still be nice to get some of these extra home games. We were said that we would get way back in the COVID for our sacrifice, but unfortunately, I think that ship has sailed. The NRL and these clubs have forgotten about that gesture with only a few honouring their word. But back to the positives, we have the tied second most seven-day turnarounds, 18 of them, which is exactly what we deserve. I thought we had dished up some pretty harsh turnarounds this year. I think there was 10 days there where we played three games, two of them over in Australia too. If they expect us to travel regularly, we need seven-day turnarounds. You lose a day at least to factor in the travel, then recovery, and you're behind the eight ball already. So good to see that we get 18 of the best seven-day turnarounds to ensure the lads are fizzed up and ready to rip and tear. In terms of our first five games for the year, we kick her off at home against the Sharkies. Friday night lights for round one, which is going to be massive stuff. Everyone knows Friday night footy, the Warriors always go the extra lift. There's lasers, there's the spy wire men, music, entertainment. She's usually a blackout. Be a bloody hard place to come, especially first up. We pump the Sharkies there this year. Of course, we bet them twice, pit them over in Cronulla on a rainy day with that massive comeback too. So really excited for that game. And then round two, we head over to Melbourne. So we'll get a great read of where we're at after those first two weeks. Interesting to note as well, Melbourne, they'll take on Penrith in their first game of the year at home. Of course, Storm, they haven't lost around one game in about 23 seasons now. That record could well and truly be under the pump with Ivan and co rocking up to Amy Park. Then round three, we go down to the 0-3. Gotta love that. A bit of symbolism, a bit of patternry there from the NRL taking on the Raiders in Christchurch. Can't wait to make the trip myself, rip and tear down there in the old Garden City and no doubt the locals, they've been screaming out for games like this. I think we did a pre-season game there this year against the Storm. She was sold out, bums on seats, packed to the rafters. Of course, they got that new stadium in the works. So it's a partnership that the club is going to look to really milk. Plenty of chat around how we should have a second NRL team. Not quite sure we have the sponsorship money and the coin floating around in the New Zealand economy at the moment to pull it off. But this is a great way for us to involve the whole nation and make sure the WAs truly are New Zealand side. So how good there. Then we've got the Knights at Mount Smart in round four to really pump those losers again, just like we did in finals. Another big dub there. Then round five, we take on the Bunnies at a core. So a pretty good start. Three games that you think would be genuine Daryl Tuffies and the Sharks, the Storm and the Bunnies. Then you got one that could go either way in the Knights and also another one that could go either way, I guess, in the Raiders. How do I see this playing out? Of course, five from five for me, 100%. The boys are going to get off to a hissing start, but we'll get a great read as to where we're at and it should be an exciting opening few rounds of footy for Warriors fans. Another thing to point out, and it's probably on the unfortunate side again, but Magic Round, we do take on the Panthers and it is counted as another home game for us. Of course, we took them on there this week. It was on the set day. Interesting to note, we're playing on the Sunday Arvo this time. I think that's the first time the Wars have played a Magic Round on a Sunday, of course. I often go over and it's bloody good stuff. You know, you rip and tear on the Thursday, Friday you rip in, Saturday the Wars play, so that gets you back up. So Warriors fans, you're going to have to be a little more strategic this time. Day four on the bend could be a 
little bit harder. That Sunday Arvo kickoff means that you can't depart Brisbane early doors either. So strap in. It's going to be four days of the best at Magic Ground. And fingers crossed we can get redemption on them for this year. Shout out to the Dragons too. No Magic Ground for them. Way to kick a club in the nuts while they're down. Shit are they battling? Why would Adam Fenor Blake want to go there is beyond me. But of course that is the rumour that the club that is offering. Fingers crossed it doesn't happen. Would love to see the big fella with the Shakira hips remain at Mount Smart long term. But again, a situation that we will monitor there. So the stage is set for a massive 2024. The lads actually, most of them started back at pre-season yesterday. RTS, CHT, Jazz Tavanga rocking back up early. Optional, but he wanted to. That right there is the winning mentality. So fingers crossed the lads had a good first day back at work. Clocked up a couple of Ks in the legs. Hopefully no early signs of chafing because shit, could that derail the train? Early doors. Rip and tear, boy. She's another hot day here looks like so enjoy it pile on the zinc and rip into your shuttles how good is rugby league Super Rugby and of course the squads were released last week. No massive surprises but just thought I'd run you through the Kiwi teams at least and bring you up to speed if you missed the big announcement. We'll start at the top of the North Island and hopefully at the top of the ladder with the Mighty Blues they will not lose. Vern Cotter he's in charge. Leon McDonald of course joining Razor Robinson's All Black coaching staff. And shout out to him actually saw him down at Soul Bar for the Melbourne Cup. Looked like he'd had a fair few Darren Frothiers with which I am all about. In terms of your key losses, there's plenty of them for the mighty Auckland side. Bodie Barrett, he's shot off to Japan. Plenty of chat. He'll be back in the future though. So good on you there, Bodes. Nipo Lalala, Tom Robinson, Big Red, a real fan favourite. Probably the Josh Curran of the Blues if you're picking up what I'm putting down with that reference. Really going to miss the big ranger. Alex Hodgman and also Roger Tuivasa Sheck. Stoked to see that departure because of course it means he is back in the Blues red and green where he belongs in terms of your key games probably the biggest signing for me Angus Ta'avau a huge signature especially with the departure of a couple of All Blacks props we need him especially his experience and his stability he will bring a lot to the squad a proud Chiefs man so I was a little surprised to see his departure from there but hey we will take it speaking of the Chiefs mana this to me looks like a squad that is set to win it all mentioned last week they were my way too early prediction to take out Super Rugby and this squad naming only further cemented that for me. Quintapire, he's probably their biggest gain back into the squad. Of course, he missed the whole 2023 season as a result of that dog shot from old mate in the Wallabies, Darcy Swain. Interesting to see how those two act around each other when they face off in Super Rugby next year, but great to have him back and he'll probably partner Anton Leonard-Brown in a stacked midfield and a bloody exciting backline. Some big losses for them too. Of course, Captain Kane, Sam Kane, he announced that he will be jetting off to Japan for a cheeky little sabbatical back in time for the All Blacks, but won't be in the mixer for the Chiefs. Brody Retallick, Brad Webber, Peter Gasso-Akula, and Angus Ta'aval, who I just mentioned. So plenty of All Black experience there that will be departing the mighty Waikato, but at the same time, I feel like they have the depth in their squad to limit the hurt and still be able to get the job done while stacked with plenty of 
of young talent. So look out for the Mana men. Jumping down to the capital, the Swirls, really like their side as well. New head coach and Clark Laidler, of course, ex-New Zealand Sevens coach who had a lot of success with them. In terms of their key losses, two biggies, Adi Savia, the best player in the world, off to Japan, of course, and he'll be joined by Dane Coles over there. Good to see him not hanging up the boots. He was going to retire, but clearly got offered a fuck ton of yen to delay that by a year. So well done to DC. In terms of their key gains, I think Brad Shields is going to be a handy pickup for them. Played for the Lions in the Bunnings Far Cup this year. Of course, got a couple of caps for England, and he's always a handy footballer. Also, TJ Perinata, good to see him back. Apparently he's going to be ready to go for day one of pre-season, had a rough run with injuries and I think many people have forgotten just how high quality of a footballer he is. I do expect he'll probably come off the bench, looks like old Roy's Cammy Roygaard has jumped him but TJ is the ultimate competitor and he could be a bloody good mentor for Roygaard too who really does put lead and pencil around what he could be. Also rate Brett Cameron, think he'll be a great signing for them in the 10 jersey, he'll have a good duel with Aidan Morgan as to who will conduct this team and then alongside some guys like Devin Flanders, Peter Luckey, Asafo Armour, they've got lots of young talent in the mixer so I think it's going to be a pretty good swirl side and if they can start the season off with a hiss and a roar they could become a bloody hard team to beat. Speaking of hard to beat, of course the defending champs for how many fucking years in a row, the Red and Black, the Cambry Cruisers, the old Crusaders, they'll be coached by not many Rob Penny, of course Razor departed their shores for the biggest gig in world footy so it'll be interesting to see how they march on without their fizzed up leader in terms of their key losses probably the most significant in the competition in my opinion Sammy Whitelock Richie Moanga Lester Whangarnoku Jack Goodhue and of course Razor also recent news Cody Taylor he's going to take a non-playing sabbatical for most of the season too they're saying he'll be back come finals time an interesting choice from Cody not to chase the big Bickies overseas, put the feet up and play some dusty code while earning a good wage. In terms of their key gains, Ryan Crotty, Lee Halfpenny, a couple of experienced roosters there to bring in a wealth of knowledge. Of course, they lose a handful of great blokes, but they find a way to bring back two legends of the international stage, which is well played from them. And then also a huge pickup that I think has flown a little bit under the radar in Levi Armour. Of course, he's been a wrecking ball for the Moana and for Tasman over the last couple of years and I think with him in the midfield down there we're really going to see him explode and push his way onto the international scene bloody strong built like a brick shit house and excited to see what he will do in that Crusaders backline. and then finally the Landers and shit you got to feel a little sorry for them every year it just seems like they've got the lightest squad on paper full credit though they did make a couple handy additions but they've lost their two best players and Aaron Smith and Shannon Frizzell. There's still rumours in the rumour mill. The mill keeps dishing up fresh wood that Shannon is still trying to get out of his deal. He wants to remain in New Zealand rugby, so fingers crossed that NZRU can get that done, and I'm sure he would put pen on paper and stay down there in the deep south. But the Spate Soldiers, they did pick up two pretty handy additions in the back line, and Jacob Ratamavuki-Napkins, who ripped and teared for Taranaki in the Bunnings Far Cup in the 50s, 
15 jersey and he will add a fair bit of razzle to a back line that is needing Raz and then also Tim Tavatava Nawai big Jim an absolute wrecking ball for Tasman and Moana on the sting he's now made the move down there and could be another of these wingers that really does shine out for them I'm thinking you Naholo types maybe with a couple big shifts in his crease as well he could push his way into a black jersey because fuck one on one he is an opposite wingers nightmare bloody good stuff I still expect them though to probably be the last base New Zealand team ahead of Moana if you count them but I don't think there's going to be much of a gap because Moana to their credit did pretty well as well Tana Umanga in the saddle now there with Tom Coventry as their coaching staff they plucked him from the blues and then they also picked up Julian Savia who will bring plenty of experience for them on the sting so bloody good stuff so plenty of talent floating around in New Zealand rugby of course so many big names departing these franchises but as is the circle of life real Lion King stuff up steps the next fella and he's also bloody talented so bring on Super Rugby 2024 Weekly wrap time now and we'll kick her off with Joseph Parker. Of course news broke during the week that he is going to have a massive biff with Deontay Wilder. December 23rd going down in Saudi Arabia. You'd hope that there's a pretty penny in this one for big Joseph. Wilder, this is going to be a massive scrap. Probably Joe's biggest fight since that Anthony Joshua bout almost six years ago now. Of course Deontay, he's going to go into this one massive favourite. He's won 42 of his 46 professional fights by KO a 97.6% win rate by knockout that is extremely wild and that right hand that he possesses probably one of the most deadly weapons in boxing history only two men have gone the distance with him one of those is Tyson Fury which makes this such a daunting fight for Joseph but you got to give him credit Parker he will never say no to fighting anyone no matter how big or scary that bloke is his last fight wasn't long ago he's going to come into this one off a shortened prep of 10 weeks but still he says sign me up I'm ready to step into the ring and give it a crack and if he can pull off the upset holy shit would this be huge for his career again you got to tip your hat to him that he's fought his way back into this type of fight contention because a couple years ago everyone was calling for him to hang up the boots he was fighting some bums and yes he was pummeling them but he wasn't exactly climbing back up the ranks so this is a bit of a tip to the hat on the last couple years of hard work that Joseph has put in and now he finds himself in an extremely lucrative situation and it's almost win-win to be fair. If he does pull off the upset then he's well and truly back in contention to fight for some bouts. He'll probably take on Anthony Joshua again and if he could get his hand raised in that one then shit she would be all go. If he does cop the L it's a massive payday and at least he gave it a red hot swing so she really is a bit of a win-win. As crazy as it seems to I could see a world where Parker does get it done obviously I'm not expecting him to win this fight Deontay Wilder he is a massive step above from where Joe has been fighting lately but he is a handy actual boxer and he could outbox him if he can avoid being hit by that devastating right then he does have a slight chance add to that he'll be training with Fury in this prep Fury he's faced up against Wilder three times bet him twice and drawn with him once so if anyone knows his weaknesses and 
somehow to exploit them, then it would be the big fella in Tyson. So overall, can't wait for this fight. I'm a heart over head type of guy, true patriot. So I'll be rooting for Joe, both literally and figuratively. And I'll also be chucking my hard-earned cash for him to go the big lift and pull off a massive win. Go and get the win, big fella. Shit, do you deserve it? The New Zealand public will be behind you. Plenty will be saying he can't get it done. I've already had DMs galore saying he's going to get pulverised. But fingers crossed, Christmas comes early for Joe on the 23rd. He gets paid, he gets laid, and he gets his hand raised. How good would that be? Jumping across to the NBA, and shit, what a day it was yesterday. Some massive games today too. She's a full schedule, which you love to see if you're a basketball fan. Yesterday's games all go, especially that T-Wolves Warriors one. A couple ejections early doors. The score was nil all. A basket hadn't even been dropped before Clay Thompson, Jaden McDaniels, and Draymond Green all got ejected from the game. A bit of push and shove between Clay and Jaden, and then over the top comes Draymond with a headlock of doom on Rudy Gobert. Almost put the big Frenchman to sleep. Jeez, do you love Draymond's aggression? Any push and shove, and he can escalate a situation at the drop of a hat. So those three got ejected, and it looked like the T-Wolves were going to struggle to win this game despite being hot to trot so far this year. A massive fourth quarter from them though. A decent comeback saw them secure the win against the Curryless Warriors and that would have been a bad loss for them but a great result in the end. Shout out to the T-Wolves as well. I continue to take my licks on them sitting in second in the West. Eight wins, two losses. That's actually their seventh win on the trot as well which equals their longest winning streak they've had since the 2003 season. Crazy stuff and it just shows how shit this franchise has been over the last 20 years but now they are a genuine contender so you got to take your hat off to them. Speaking of the Nuggets they are top in the West and they had a big win late yesterday over the Clippers. I thought the Clips were going to get their first dub with Harden at the helm but it wasn't to be. They kind of choked it at the end to be fair. Tried to finish the game with a small ball lineup. You can't do that against Joker. He had about two or three of them on him down the stretch but was still finding a way to score the basket. So that's 0-5 since they picked up James Harden. I do have to say though, it looked a little bit better yesterday so there could be a bit of light at the end of the tunnel for them. Still don't expect them to be a playoff side though. Lots of water to go under the bridge there and I wouldn't be surprised if they end up moving on a guy like Russ just to make this all fit a little bit better. Some other results yesterday that stood out. The Thunder dominated the Spurs with Wemby taking on Chet for the first time this season. Two young rookies that have been ripping and a tearing and I do feel a little sorry for Chet because if Victor wasn't in the league this year he would be getting so much limelight and press but the big French alien has been dominating that and fair enough too. Chet he's averaging 16.4, 7.6 rebounds and 2.3 blocks. If you're a fantasy player like me He's the second ranked power forward, which is unreal. Then Victor, he's 19.7 points, 8.8 rebounds and 2.4 blocks in the third ranked center. So it was cool to see them go at it. Unfortunately, both had pretty tough days at the office, but the Thunder, they continue to excel as well, sitting in fifth in the West. You love to see it. A team that's absolutely stacked with draft picks. Would love to see them make a big move either this season or next year. Cash them all 
all in and acquire another superstar because they have the makings of a bloody good side. Shout out to the Pacers as well, who bet the 76ers 132 to 126. Tyrese Halliburton again had a massive day at the office. What a player he is. He dropped 33 points with 15 assists and arguably most impressively had zero turnovers. The only players to have done that in the history before dropped over 30 with 15 assists and zero turnovers was John Stockton, Chris Paul, LeBron James and James Harden. So Tyrese, he joins an elite handful of players and it's bloody good news for me as well to see him kicking on like this because during COVID I got into collecting the old basketball cards and I got a couple signed Halliburton's numbered as well so they're limited. So fingers crossed that could be the old retirement fund if this kid keeps kicking on. Some big games today, a full slate, you love to see it. Sixers taking on the Celtic, Kings taking on the Lakers, T-Wolves taking on the Suns. Suns, they're expected to have Booker back so we could finally see that trio again. T-Wolves off the back of a back-to-back, so there could be a little bit of fatigue, but they will be up for this one. Magic Bulls, plenty of talk around Zach Levine, now willing to be traded from the Bulls, so keep an eye on that. Sixers, Lakers, Heat appear to be your main suitors, and no doubt they'll be chucking the checkbook at him to see if they can lure him there. Knicks, Hawks, that'll be a good game as well, so plenty to strap in for today if you love yourself some NBA. How good is it? And then finally, just wanted to touch on that UFC card on the weekend. What a day of biff she was. It was all go from woe to go. It felt like every card finished early as well. There was either a knockout or a submission early doors. Shout out to Tom Aspinall who went the big lift, knocked out Sergei Pavlovic in the first round, took the fight on short notice, wasn't sure if he was ready to step up to the big time, but the big Brit got the job done and shit was he impressive to watch. And then in the main event, Alex Pereira, he got the dub as well. Second round knockout, which was actually a boosted option at the TAB, paying nine bucks. A few of you got in on that. I've seen the screenshots, so well done to you. But he got the win there. Impressive, probably a bit of an early stoppage, but well done to him. He was dominating the fight, and now he's gone and called out Izzy. I see Izzy's not too keen on that. Posted up a pic saying, let it go. So clearly he's still living rent-free in Potan's head, and I don't like this fight for Izzy. Going up to light heavy. Wait, Pereira was already so much bigger, but hey, the great man Adesanya, he does what he wants and if he does want to step up to that division all power to him and I'd still be backing the shit out of him to get his hand raised. How fucking good. So that's us for another episode of Surly Talk Sports. As always, hope you enjoyed it. No punting pod last week. Apologies for that. The old life got the better of me, got wrapped up and wasn't able to bang her out. But I will be back tomorrow to chew your ears and hopefully tip out some green ticks on your bet slips. I'm thinking this might be the kind of second to last episode of both of the pods for the year. Come December, she starts to dry up a little and that's when silly season really gets into its work. So I might put my feet up and retire the Mike come the end of the month but in the meantime I'll continue to bang out some potties and hopefully you're enjoying the content so I'll catch you tomorrow to talk all things punting hope you have a good Thursday sun's out thirsty Thursday shit she's shaping up could be a doozy I'm actually playing a bit of twilight golf tonight off to donate some tightless pro v1s tear high and let her fly if you're a house near the Hoopai golf course put up your protective jib boards because there could be a couple balls coming for your glass windows after I absolutely shank the shit out of them how good